you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Why, good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike. You're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast. Today is Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. And here we are in uh, somewhere hidden in Maine, uh, down east Maine. That's where we are. And it is um, one of those days in the sort of spring where winter does not want to let go. We have snow forecast today. We're not afraid of it, but we do want to hide and just go back to bed and curl up, pull the covers over our head and wake up when the flowers are out. They're coming at some point, but... uh, here we are in Maine, still in the winter. Well, if you're new to the Down East Mike podcast, we'll start off with our disclaimer. Some of this is whimsy, some of this is true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. So we focus on the happy and the upbeat and it's all rainbows and unicorns here. We have a good time. We, we There's a lot enough bad news out there, a lot of lot of anger and stuff and we don't want to focus on that we just want to be cheerful and happy it's a good it's a good thing right in today's episode we have a main bridge not far enough Tarzan wins the Boston Marathon that's from this day in 1939 watching movies in Maine became on Sundays became legalized on this day in 1939. We'll talk about that. We have our peaks of interest, our main mellow of the moment, and so much more in today's podcast. Let's start off with a brain teaser. Word of the day is bond. B-O-N-D. We like these simple monosyllabic words that uh, Make you think a little bit because they're quite common. But let's look at bond. The definition is something that binds or restrains. A fetter, F-E-T-T-E-R. Prisoners freed from their bonds. The bonds of oppression. A binding agreement, a covenant. United in the bonds of holy matrimony. My word is my bond. We also would say a band or a cord used to tie something. In chemistry, an attractive force that holds together the atoms, ions, or groups of atoms in a molecular crystal. That's a chemical bond. And we also have the bonds of friendship, a uniting or binding element or force or an obligation. An insurance agreement pledging that one will become legally liable for financial loss caused to another by the act or default of a third person or by some contingency over which the third person may have no control. This is just so much bonding, so much uh, bondage. Oh dear. Okay, uh, masonry to lap. Uh, A bonding material such as brick. Bond, uh, you can also bond an employee. We're going to bond him over, keep him on until the the spring. Uh, Bond came into literature in the 12th century, and some of the other words that were popular at the time 
where cupful, delta, crown, eyelid, false, feeble, grout, hang up, harbor, healer, hair to, fortitude. This is all in the 12th century when bond first came into use. So we'll think about bond as we go through the day, and that's a popular word. How about the, the uh, happy birthdays today to Winifred in Lincoln, Maine? Winifred's going to be 48 today. Winifred's a wonderful baker. She has a koi pond. Happy birthday to you, Winifred. Justin of Belfast turns 99 years old. Happy birthday, Justin. He once held, I don't know if you knew this, but Justin once held a world record for the most cheese curds consumed in one setting. Now, we don't want to speculate how many cheese curds that was, but I bet it was a lot. Well, in our news, our main news, the main bridge is not far enough that Veranda Street Bridge project starts this week. This is an amb ambitious highway construction project. What it's going to do is shut down Maine's busiest stretch of state highway for more than three days later this week. Maine DOT has spent years preparing motorists for this closure. And it's going to be between Portland and Falmouth and around Veranda Street, which runs below the highway. The traffic there is going to be prohibited on the roads uh, while that overpass is demolished and replaced in a rapid-fire operation. And Paul Merrill, who's the communications director for the state DOT, says, this is certainly not something we do every day. It's unprecedented in terms of the type of work and the nature of the interstate highway that carries this much traffic through our state's largest city. So they're closing off Aranda Street for a week starting uh, Monday and then uh, I-95 between exits 9 and 10 will close Friday at 7 and reopen at 11 a.m. on Monday, uh, April 25th. Uh, so they're, they're worried that they haven't got the word out to everybody about this. About 53,000 vehicles use that five-mile stretch of road every single day. If you've ever driven through there uh, at rush hour or if there's an accident, it's, it can be quite a bottleneck. So uh, Chembro has about 64 hours to tear that down and they're going to rebuild it. 64 hours to tear it down and rebuild it. The replacement cost about $20 million, and it's a 60-year-old bridge. So big, big to-doings here. And then we looked back, and, and back in 1961, from the Lewiston Evening Journal, uh, this past year was a banner year for interstate highway construction in Maine, with three important portions of the state's interstate system open to traffic. Tukey's Bridge at Portland was dedicated by municipal and state officials in September. And in November, officials gathered to snip the symbolic ribbon on four miles of Interstate 95 at Bangor. The following day, two ceremonies were held at either end of the 24-mile link between Augusta, Waterville, and Fairfield. So Tukey's Bridge is a six-lane, high-level bridge, one of the first steps in the construction of Interstate 295, the Portland Urban Loop, 
which in the future will pass through the city, connecting with the main line, Interstate 95 to the north and south. The new Tukey's Bridge is a four-span steel and concrete structure carrying two roadways, each 38 feet wide, separated by a four-foot median with a four-foot sidewalk on the east side. I don't, well, I guess that's where they run now. So this is back in 1961 that they were, they were doing all this uh, planning. Uh, in the meantime, they were talking about a right away in the section from the Royal River in Yarmouth to the Yarmouth Freeport town line on Cousins River. And a contract for the grading, drainage, and base along this section, a distance of about 1.5 miles, will probably get underway. And that was in the spring of 1961. So, been going on for years. It seems like they've always been working on it. On this day in 1939, Tarzan Brown, a Narragansett Indian from Alton, Rhode Island, ran away from the field to repeat win in the Boston Athletic Association's 26-mile, 385-yard marathon. This repeats his victory of 1936 and he joined a small circle of two-time winners in the 43-year-old event. Now, yesterday they had the Boston Marathon with about 25,000 uh, finishers, and the winning time was about two hours and six minutes for the men. He ran it in 1939 in two hours, 28 minutes, 51 seconds. He's described as the dusky-skinned brown, a stonemason by trade, literally ran 180 other competitors into the ground, taking the lead during the early stages of the race and sprinting across the finish line before his nearest pursuer was in sight. They're talking about thus he completed a marvelous comeback over a hernia operation two years ago, which kept him out of racing for a considerable period. So two years, in this case, they're equating to a considerable period. That's a great point of reference for you if you needed to tell somebody what a considerable period would be. A comparative dark horse, Don Heineke of Baltimore, Maryland, captured second place a quarter of a mile behind Brown. He had troubled the leaders but little during the race, but sprinted through the field at the end. Couldn't you just see those elbows flying as he tore through the field? Really something to compare those two numbers from back then, 180 competitors today, uh, now they're up to almost 30,000, I think 28,000 plus had started. Let's look at some advertisements from this day in 1939. At Wilton Motors in Wilton, Maine, they are the dealer for the new Willys Overland. $580. They got a little asterisk at the end of it. This is for a roomy five-passenger sedan and it's less than the price of a coupe of any other standard size make. Listen to this copy. If you want style and performance, you can be proud of. Safety, you can be proud of an economy that will pad your pockets, not pick them, then you want a new Willys Overland. It's got everything that means motor and comfort and convenience. 
oversized hydraulic brakes, safety steel body, and unsurpassed riding comfort. We want you to put a new Willys Overland through its paces. It may sound like fiction, but a demonstration will prove it's all fact. It's Willys Overland all the way, and that's one reason we say best car for most people. $5 a week buys it, one cent a mile runs it. 1939 Willys Overland, I bet there's one probably still as steel is probably still in good shape sitting in a field somewhere. We also have a wonderful advertisement from Budweiser, 1939 on this day. What makes a nation great? Land, timber, minerals? Other nations have them. But of what value are raw materials without human resourcefulness? Because our pioneering forefathers had the courage to match their dreams, America became great. Their stout spirit was the plow that broke the plains. Their staunch faith sharpened the edge of their thundering axes. Their high hope harnessed the waters. Their will to win probed the earth below. You and you and you are America's pioneers. For today is always yesterday's frontier for the American spirit. The true measure of a nation's resources is the ability of its people to face life with the spirit of youth. It's got three guys standing. One that's got a boy looking at a businessman with his hat, and then a, a, a blue-collar laborer with a sledgehammer over his shoulder, and they're they're marching beneath. Uh, looks like Washington. Now live life, every golden minute of it. Enjoy Budweiser, every golden drop of it. It's Anheuser-Busch, makers of the world-famous Budweiser. Make this test. Drink Budweiser for five days. On the sixth day, try to drink a sweet beer. You will want Budweiser's flavor thereafter. Whoa. Alrighty, so that was that's some heavy, heavy digestion of an ad back then, huh? Our main mammal of the moment is a bobcat. The bobcat lynx rufus, also called the bay lynx or wildcat. It's a bobtailed North American cat found from northern or southern Canada to southern Mexico. The bobcat's a close relative of the larger Canadian lynx. Bobcat is described as a long-legged cat with large paws, a rather short body, tufted ears. He's about 24 to 40 inches long, which excludes the uh, tail, and it weighs about 15 to 33 pounds. Now, anecdotally, we have referenced a, the largest uh, bobcat captured in Maine was around 73 pounds. What a big kitty that is. Uh, its fur is stiffer, and they list it as less valuable than that of the lynx. Well, I got to tell you, the fur is certainly valuable to the bobcat. I don't know what their reference is there. The underparts are white. The tip of the tail is black above and white below. Now, noting as sometimes found in urban areas, the bobcat is a nocturnal, generally solitary cat, equally at home in forests and deserts 
and it's less inclined than the lynx to climb trees or swim. It feeds on rodents, rabbits, hares, and some birds. Um, they talk about it's a, of some value as a fur bear. I don't know how relevant that is today. Now, how can you tell the difference between a bobcat and a Canadian lynx? Because they look pretty close. The bobcat has uh, a longer tail. It's got visible spotting and really distinctive point to tell the difference is the bobcat has a shorter ear tuft, shorter legs, and it has smaller paws. And then the tail is got white under tip where the lynx has an all black tip. And the lynx also has those great big furry paws. I think in some cases their paw prints are mistaken for a mountain lion because they're so big, like a dinner plate or something. That's so they can run across the snow and catch snowshoe hares. Well, our main peaks of interest today, we're looking at Mount Waldo. This is from uh, the Lewiston Saturday Journal, August 13th, 1898. We found an interesting tidbit about Mount Waldo. It was in the year 1840 that Mr. John F. Rowe, who died Friday in Farmington, in company with Albert Pierce, now also dead, they're all dead there, came to Frankfurt from Guilford, New Hampshire, and opened a small quarry at Mount Waldo. He lived to see the little hole in the mountain ledge grow into the great quarries of today with their improved machinery and great crews. When he began business, no granite was sent further away than New York for there was no way of transporting it inland, and indeed there were on inland cities of sufficient importance to have buildings calling for such materials. In his early days at the business, all heavy weights were moved by means of ox teams. Uh, just anecdotally, uh, this correspondent has witnessed even a modern day uh, on a beach in Nova Scotia uh, locals moving uh, stones by oxen. It's still kind of going on. Anyway, back to our story. This season, they installed at Mount Waldo a railway extending from the wharves up the steep hillside to the quarries with powerful locomotive and cars capable of carrying many tons weight and also a traveling steam derrick for handling the great blocks of stone that were formerly hoisted by hand. Since Mr. Rowe began business, uh, enough granite has been shipped in one form and another from Mount Waldo to build a large city, and yet with sections of its gray surface scattered from Bangor to St. Louis and from Charleston to Minneapolis, Mount Waldo appears to have lost little or nothing of its massive proportions, so no matter how much they calved on it. Also, we found this little tidbit at Bangor Daily News, 1978. We got a picture of Ken Huntley of Hamden taken off from Mount Waldo in his 40-foot high-altitude hang glider. This is just astonishing. Great little story here by Dick Shaw. Nearly every afternoon when the wind is right, Harlan Dunbar and Ken Huntley climb into Dunbar's blue van. They travel to the summit of Mount Waldo in Frankfurt and they fly. 
outfitted in crash helmets and padded vests with synthetic wings across their shoulders. They saw like giant eagles basking in the summer sun. They admittedly are flirting with death each time they practice what might well be the world's most perilous pastime. But they are hang-gliding enthusiasts, and they have come to love it. It is 1.30 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, and we're halfway up the north side of 1,064-foot Mount Waldo. The road becomes steeper and more perilous by the moment. Only a hang glider would take a vehicle over it. Once at the top, Dunbar eases the van onto a cliff, applies the emergency brake, and with Huntley hops out. He has been doing this nearly every day for the past three weeks and wastes no time in getting down to business. After 30 minutes, the long, skinny aircraft aluminum poles, colorful Dacron sail, and network of cables are assembled, and Dunbar is perched on a ledge ready to fly. For a while, he lies on his stomach, wearing an orange helmet and padded vest, his triangular 34-foot bobcat kite over his shoulders. The wind is whistling out of the south in gusts of 15 to 25 miles per hour, lifting the handsome violet, yellow, orange, and white canopy up and down, flappity-flap. Oh, my goodness. I'm waiting for the right thermal to move up the mountain, he details, seemingly for all the world like a surfer in quest of a perfect wave. It's hazy today, so there aren't many thermals, which really are just vertical air patterns resulting from heat reflected off of roofs, rocks, and other large areas. Oh boy, did you see those ravens down there in the valley? The short, muscular flyer yells excitedly. They just got hit by a thermal, and wow, did they rise. There is jealousy in his voice. Suddenly Dunbar is off his belly and onto his feet. Vigilant, yet showing no outward signs of trepidation, he steps forward and is off. The flight has to be witnessed to be believed. First, he veers to the left, hundreds of feet above ground. He then hacks around, soaring back and forth in the breeze. Birds fly cautiously below him, baffled by this new predator. He is a Leonardo da Vinci flight sketch come to life. Wow. I was about the first one to hang glide around here, he recalls, afterward, following a two-minute flight. I discovered this place three years ago, and now a lot of people are doing it. The landing field is bowl-shaped, which is ideal. And the first time I went up in a kite, I was terrified. I still am for the first second after takeoff, but after that, you're just too busy to even think about it. But it's just like any other activity. Your disposition affects your performance. If you go up onto that mountain in a rotten mood, that's just how your flight's going to turn out. Rotten. What a story. So Mount Waldo hang line. I wonder if anybody's around that still remembers doing that. The question, oh, they have a little note here. Uh, Let's see, uh, the, the question ultimately arises, why? 
Why throw away the security of a living room armchair on a hot summer afternoon by leaping off a pile of rocks? Perhaps Dunbar sums it up best. I basically am a purist. I love the challenge of gliding. You see, when you're up there under the clouds soaring around, it's just you and the elements. It's that simple. And with that, he ties his glider onto his van and heads back up Mount Waldo for another simple, challenging flight. Well, that's our, that's our mountain our peak of interest. Uh, let's take a quick look at our forecast here for today, uh, Tuesday, uh, April 19th. We are going to have uh, rain mainly before 1 p.m. Uh, the high near 49, east went around 15 miles per hour, becoming south in the afternoon. We're looking at gusts up to 30 miles per hour. Uh, for Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high near 50. And then throughout the rest of the week, we have some moderating temperatures. Thursday and Friday, both sunny and highs up in the 50s. That's our podcast for today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this is Down East Mike wishing you and your loved ones a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. We'll see you.